Times bestselling author Cynthia Bryan's books at www.starstyleradio.com. Get inspired and motivated to be your best self with Be The Star You Are, 99 Gifts, and Be The Star You Are for Teens. Buy cases at a deep discount to give away as gifts and premiums. Visit www.starstyleradio.com or call 925-377-STAR. 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 for your life? Do you know where you want to go? Are you looking to be happier, healthier, and wealthier while having more fun every day? Meet our empowerment architect and goddess gardener, Cynthia Bryan, as she engages in energetic exchanges with success experts, bringing you research, innovations, strategies, and techniques to strengthen your life, business, and personal spaces. Be inspired, motivated, encouraged, and empowered. Lend us your ears right here on Star Style. Be the star you are. The party starts now. Well, hello, power partners. And yes, let's do it with style. Star Style. Welcome to our informational playground. I am Cynthia Bryan. I am your host, your personal growth coach, and hopefully your empowerment architect. For today, for the week, for the month, for the year, let's just keep it going. I'd like to catapult you from wishing upon a star to imagining your dreams as if they have already transpired. And I want you to live your dreams, act like that you have everything you need because you are the writer, producer, director, and star of your own life. And the only way to know yourself is to be yourself. So Listen to your heart. The miracle moment for today is brought to you by Be The Star You Are Charity. We really want you to go to the website. Go to be the star you are.org And th- when you're there, you can find out about all these fun events that are happening, especially our June 15th event with the Oakland A's versus the Los Angeles Angels. Uh, Going to be a really, really epic game. And anybody who buys tickets from the, uh, it's the A's website, but they are going to be donating to Be The Star You Are. We are considered the nonprofit of the night. I love it. And it is going to be um, a fireworks show afterwards. It's dinosaurs. It is going to be Jurassic Park. And all the Be The Star You Are attendees get to go out on the field. And also, while you're there, if you want to buy raffle tickets for an opportunity to meet the players, Go to batting practice. Uh, Raffle tickets are only five bucks. So pretty cool. This uh, miracle moment is from Seneca. It is not because life is difficult that we do not dare. Life is difficult because we do not dare. So kind of think about that one, right? (laughs) We have to dare to be brave and dare to be courageous. And actually the teen show of uh, Express Yourself is going to be doing a show on courage that you'll be able to tune into next Tuesday at noon Pacific. I always love it when the teens, um, the teens talk because they always have something to say. Well, what are we going to do in today's show? We're going to talk about smart emailing. 
I was reading this really terrific article in the Wall Street Journal, and it reported on the latest research on how to tame your inbox and be effective with email and emojis and, you know, all those, you know, emoticons, all those things that are happening. And then also, I wanted to talk about brain dancing, uh, the cognitive demands of dancing, which require people to learn and master new choreography, actually helps the biochemistry of the brain tissue, and it prompts the increasedness um, and the thickness of wiring there. So it's really a great thing to be dancing. We can keep our brains younger. And of course, welcome to spring. Happy spring. It is sprung. Nature is calling, and I want to get us off of the couch and into the dirt with some really great tips on how to maximize your outdoor fun with beautifying your yard. You know, I am known as a goddess gardener. I have written the new book called Growing with the Goddess Gardener. Pick it up at CynthiaBryan.com. Uh, just go to the gardening section or go to books and you'll find the online store. Uh, and you can have autographed copies as well as when you, when you buy the book or any of my books directly from the website, You'll get a whole package of fun extras like seeds and herbs and bookmarks and messages from me and all that kind of stuff. So go to CynthiaBryan.com. You will love it. Well, before I start on our topic of the day, the first topic that I wanted to discuss with you, which is um, going to be about the our brains and all the, um, you know, the rewiring and all of that. I just have to rant for a little bit, and that is I have spent over three hours today on the phone. I was talking with Josh before the show, but Josh is my engineer, uh, about how frustrated I was. So if I'm sounding frustrated, it's because I was three hours on the phone with AT&T. Now, they're supposed to be the phone company. They're supposed to be communicators, except you cannot get through to anybody. And when you do get through, you get to somebody in the Philippines or India who's reading from a script. And as soon as you tell them what you're calling about, they read from a script again and they ask you the same questions over and over. I ended up speaking. I called back, having to call back several times to different people. Um, And I ended up speaking with eight different people. And the problem is still not solved. And it's for business line and internet and all I want to do is say to AT&T get your act together because I think there should be a mass exodus and I don't really want a mass exodus because I even have stock in AT&T but I don't think that they should be able to <laughs> to be a conglomerate and buy Time Warner because their service is just so poor this is really it is really really poor to and even their voicemail when you get it and it says you know Punch in your, your account number. Well, you punch it in or you say it, and they say, we didn't understand that. Uh, wh- what do you want to talk about? Do you want your phone number or your zip code? And no matter what you do, you still get to the wrong department. And then when you do get to somebody, you're in the wrong department. You're either in residential or you're in business, but it's always the wrong department, and they say they have to transfer you. So it was the most frustrating experience, and I finally got somebody who was in California who wasn't reading from a script and who spoke English. <laughs> and uh, and she told me that somehow my account has been locked now by somebody overseas, <laughs> which is probably their loyalty department. 
So anyway, it's a very frustrating experience. Well, let's talk about brain power now because my brain is on overload. So uh, dancing for brain power. Do you think that learning to dance the minuet or the fandango or a new jazz dance could actually help protect your brain from aging? Well, the answer is yes. If you answered yes, hooray, you win a prize. A new study that compared the neurological effects of country dancing with those of walking and other activities suggests that there may be something unique about learning a social dance. Now, why, you're probably asking. Well, the demands it places on your mind and your body could make it unusually potent at slowing down some of those changes that happen inside of our skulls that may seem otherwise inevitable with aging. Now, you know, we all are going to age, and of course, we all want to age because, obviously, if you're not aging, what is the opposite of that, and what are the repercussions? However, I know when I look in the mirror now, I don't see who I think I look like. I see my mother, and I love my mother, and actually, I'm embracing that because she was terrific, and so I just have to understand that, you know, looking in the mirror is different, but Inside my brain and my body, I still want to be the same person I've always been, having fun, being wild and crazy. Now, neuroscientists and those in middle age or beyond know that our brains alter and slow as we grow older. Now, I always question that, but I think it's probably true. So the processing speed, which is a measure of how rapidly our brains can absorb, access, access and respond to new information... It is a particularly hard hit area. So most people who are older than about 40, let's say 40, that's, uh, that's young, but uh, people older than 40 perform worse on tests of processing speed than those who are younger. And the excess, the, those effects actually accelerate as the decades go on. So here's what scientists are thinking. They suspect that the decline is due in large part to a non-committant fraying of our brain's white matter. And that's what we know as the wiring in our brain. So white matter consists of specialized cells and their offshoots. And that those are the ones that pass messages between the neurons. And they go from one part of the brain to another part of the brain. In younger brains, these messages, they just whip around, just like little kids, you know, are running around from one place to another. Well, in younger brains... The messages whip from neuron to neuron. They don't bog down, and they, the speed is really, really fast. But in older people, the brain scans show that the white matter is skimpier and less efficient. And so what does that do? Messages stutter. They slow. It's kind of like this AT&T Internet service that is so slow that I might as well be on dial-up. <laughs> well, whether the age-related decline in white matter is, um, you know, is true or not, what is happening is our brains are changing, and those changes are sometimes unclear. But with this new study that was published in Frontiers in Aging in Neuroscience, the researchers from the University of Illinois, they found this. And there are other schools that actually uh, contributed to the study. They looked at the effects of several types of exercise on the wiring and the function of our brains. And they began by recruiting 174 healthy people 
that were in their 60s and early 70s that had absolutely zero signs of cognitive impairment. Now, most were sedentary, although some occasionally exercised. Then they invited the men and women to a university lab for tests of their aerobic fitness and their mental capacities, and including a processing speed and a brain scan, and they used a very sophisticated MRI machine. After that, the researchers randomly divided the volunteers into several groups. One began a supervised program of very brisk walking for an hour three times a week. Another started a regimen of supervised gentle stretching and balance training three times a week. But the last group was assigned to learn a new dance. And so these men and women showed up to a studio three times a week for an hour, the same amount of time everybody else was doing, and they practiced increasingly intricate country dance choreography with the group shaping itself into these fluid lines and squares, and each person had to move from partner to partner. Then they looked at all the results after six months. The volunteers returned to the lab to repeat the tests, and the brain scans from the study started anew. This is what gets interesting. The differences now proved to be both promising and worrisome. So by and large, everyone's brain showed some signs of what the scientists termed as degeneration of the white matter. But the changes were kind of subtle. They involved slight thinning of the size and number of connections between the neurons. But the effects were surprisingly widespread throughout people's brains, given that only six months had elapsed since the first scans. Now, the study then went on to show that the degeneration was especially noticeable in the oldest volunteers and those who had been in the most sedentary before even joining the study. One group showed an actual improvement in the health of some of the white matter in their brains compared to six months before. The dancers, this was the biggest surprise, the ones that who started dancing a new dance had the most dense white matter in their fornix, a part of the brain that is involved with processing speed and memory. So it seems likely that the cognitive demands of the dancing, which required people to learn and to master new choreography throughout the six months of study, three times a week for an hour, affected the biochemistry of the brain tissue to the fornix. So this prompting increased the thickness and the quiet quantity of the wiring there. Now, interestingly, none of the changes in the volunteers' white matter were obviously reflected in their cognitive performance. Almost everyone performed better now on thinking tests than at the beginning of that study, including the tests of their processing speed. Even their white matter was skimpier. But the results indicate that there could be a time lag between when the brain changes structurally and when we start having trouble thinking and remembering. But the most encouraging thing was also the suggestion that in, you know, engaging in any activity, obviously, that involves moving and socializing is going to be good for you. As all of these groups programs did, they all perked up because all of their mental abilities in all the age groups, they perked up just with the, either the walking or the meditation, you know, and the stretching. But the message was really, really big that the biggest changes were in those people that learned a new dance. So 
of course, we can take away a couple of things from this. It's not good to be sedentary. Get up and move. And whether you're going to walk or meditate or garden or whatever it is, you have to move. But maybe the best thing to do is to just start dancing. And how much fun is that? In you know, engage in different kinds of exercise over the course of your lifetime. And the data is going to prove a rationale for moving and perhaps learning to do the sachet or to do the conga or, hey, how about the polka? I, I remember having to learn to do... Um, to do a uh, uh, country dancing when I was in school and I loved it. And dancing is just something that comes, comes kind of naturally to me. I love to just get up and dance for no reason at any time, any place, anywhere when the music plays or just the music in my head is good enough for me. So get up and dance and you might be better off with your brain So to help your brain dance more. When we come back from break, we'll go into the garden, talking about gardening, and we'll talk about sowing for spring. You're listening to Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style. Be the star you are. I will be right back. Be the star you are. The star. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Are you seeking a dynamo speaker for your meeting, conference, or organization? Internationally recognized keynote speaker and New York Times bestselling author and lifestyle coach, Cynthia Bryan, will bring her energetic expertise, passionate professionalism, and ebullient personality to your event. Hailed as an expert in lifestyle, women's issues, self-help, personal balance, leadership, media, gardening, and interior design topics, Cynthia Bryan is a popular empowerment keynote speaker around the world. Lecturing to audiences of 100 to 5,000. For rates and bookings, call 925-377-STAR. 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 And visit www.cynthiabryan.com. When you want the best, book Cynthia Bryan. www.cynthiabryan.com. This business of show business is calling out to me. Get started acting or modeling with a consultation from media coach extraordinaire Cynthia Bryan, who has guided entertainment careers for over two decades. Call 925-377-STAR or visit www.cynthiabryan.com. Pick up a copy of her award-winning book, The Business of Show Business, and start living your dreams today. Call 925-377-STAR. 925-377-STAR. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. Well, we are so glad that you're staying here for our power party. It's actually also a garden party because it is springtime. It is one of my favorite times of year. Of course, I'll say that in the summer and I'll say that in the fall. It's just winter that I'm not a fan of. I like what Josh told me earlier that he's a lizard. And so I feel like I'm like that too. I love to just be on that rock and soak in that sun. It just feels so, so great. Well, speaking of so, so great, how about sowing for spring? 
Helen Hayes said all through the long winter, I dream of my garden on the first warm day of spring. I dig my fingers deep into the soft earth. I can feel its energy and my spirit soar. I concur. Well, you know, my cell phone rang as I was trying to get into my front door. My arms are filled with books. And I pressed the speaker button on my phone. And a few seconds it took me to say hello. My daughter's voice was already chiming in because she could hear the frogs. And she was like, Mom, are those the frogs singing? It's got to be springtime. It is so amazing here. As soon as dusk comes, the frogs are everywhere. And what's happening, it's the as winter is, you know, saying farewell, these male troubadours, the printemps, the springtime, they're feel, feeling that evening the mist, the early evening mist, with their mating croaks, they're trying to entice the ladies. And their call is so joyous and raucous, and it's a welcome harbinger of what a new life and new birth and everything we think about spring. I am just loving these days at the moment. Right now in California, where I am, today I think it's in the 70s. It has been raining a lot earlier in the month, which we need. But right now it's beautiful and sunny, and my garden has just erupted into a cavalcade of color as one blossom after another unfurls its beauty. The cherries, the chestnut, the plum, the crabapple, the Asian pear, the western redbud, the tulip magnolias, they are so magnificent with their new wardrobes of rose and white and pink and purple. The feathery fronds of fennel, they glisten in the sunlight. I don't know if you're a fennel fan, but I am, and I love chopping up the uh, bulb and using it in salads and sautés, and I use the pretty leaves actually to fragrance uh, my water, so that always tastes so good. Freesia, speaking of fragrance, oh my gosh, the narcissi and the stock, uh, they're just perfuming the air. You walk outside and you just smell spring. Periwinkle, also known as vinca, it's enhancing garden beds. It has these beautiful little tiny blue flowers. And even my roses are blooming earlier than normal. The hellebores, they're most commonly called Lenten rose. It's kind of perfect time for Lent, right? They inject this earthy color of browns and grays into the landscape. And as the spring sepals emerge, vibrant hues of purple and green and blue and lavender and red and pink, they brighten the shady gardens and they eventually fade as their you know, the color variations fade as the leaves, you know, get a little bit older. But it just seems right now that all of nature has been holding its breath until the frogs returned and they cued the melodic symphony of nature. It's it's just really exciting for me. And I don't think you have to be a gardener to enjoy it. You just have to, you know, relish nature and being out in nature. So of course, when the first 70-degree weather day happened, I was outside in my bikini and my shorts digging in the dirts. And for all of you who have already uh, bought the first book in my uh, Garden Shorts series, uh, Growing with the Goddess Gardener, that's why it's called Garden Shorts series, is I come from a long line of gardeners, of uh, female gardeners, that gardened either in their bikinis, their bathing suits, their shorts, or their underwear. <laughs> Always wearing cowboy boots. I know it's a kind of a weird thought to even think about, but since everybody lived on farms or out in the country, that was kind of the way that we did it. 
So, of course, I have to continue it, and my daughter continues it to this day. So um, there's a lot of weeds that sprouted after the rains. The good news is that they're really easy to pull. And if you planted cover crops, you know, like um, mustard or vetch or um, beans, it's time to turn them under. So once the weeds are eradicated, you rake the ground before scattering your seeds. Now, I'm a huge fan of California poppies, not only for their shimmering range of sherbet colors, but also because they tolerate the extremes in weathers. They're resistant to the deer munchers, and they reseed easily. Uh, my poppies are already blooming, and then I have I scattered more seeds, so I'm hoping that more will come up. And then even the recent hailstorms, they don't adversely affect the poppies, which is really good. And as soon as you can work the ground, you can sow seeds directly into rail-drained beds. But you always want to plant your seeds in full sun. Even if the weather is cool, poppies can handle the light frost, so you want to sow them now. And if you haven't amended your soil with compost, you might need to fertilize. So keep the soil mo- moist and then when the seedlings come up, you're going to have to thin them and you want to have them about six inches apart because you want plants to, uh, to flourish. If you want a succession of blooms, and that means that, you know, when something dies, something else is blooming. So you never really have a dead spot. You want to scatter seeds from any of your favorite annuals. And these plants are pollinator attractors. So you, you, they will enjoy plentiful sunshine and most are excellent as cut flowers and I'm going to tell you a few of my favorites that you can scatter and um, and then the other thing you can do too with these is you can let them reseed themselves or when the seed pods form and once they're dried you can save those seeds and rescatter them and you could do that in the fall or you could do it in the spring so alyssum aster baby blue eyes Baby's Breath, Bachelor Buttons, Black-Eyed Susan, Bluebells, Calendula, Candy Tuff, Cornflower, Clarkia, Cosmos, Forget-Me-Nots, Hollyhocks, Lavender, or Lavatera, Marigolds, Poppy, Stock, Strawflower, Sunflower, and Zinnia. Now, those are some of my favorites. You may have some of your own favorites. But uh, it is kind of fun to go out there in the garden and just to see things that start coming up on their own. Uh, It's the same with bulbs. I love to throw uh, seeds and I like to plant bulbs because then every year I have a surprise. And it seems that, you know, it's just less work. It's less work than having to constantly go to the garden center and buy plants and dig them and, you know, get them going. If the seeds come up, it's great. Now, my preferred time to spread seeds is right before a shower. So if you keep an eye on the forthcoming weather and then plan accordingly, because the rain will give your seeds a very deep drink, and then you won't have to water immediately. So I like that uh, because especially in places like California or Arizona or Nevada or New Mexico or um, wherever you have droughts and, you, you know, water is really precious it's better not to have to water. Now, so grab your hat, your gloves, your spade, a packet of seeds, and enjoy this renaissance of nature. You can dig your fingers into the soft earth. You can watch your spirits soar. And as the renowned horticulturist and author, artist, and garden designer, Gertrude Jekyll wrote, the love of gardening is a seed that once sown never dies. So I feel let's be reborn this spring. 
let's never die. Let's plant those seeds. So here are a few of my um, monthly gardening guides for you that things that might be helpful. You can plant rhubarb right now. It's a pretty, it's a very, very pretty perennial. And it'll supply you with plenty of those ruby red stalks to make pies and tarts in the summertime. However, cut off and discard all rhubarb leaves as they contain poisonous oxalic acid, okay? So you just want the stalks. You don't want to eat the leaves. The leaves are really pretty, but that's not what you eat. And you've got to be careful because don't you don't want to, um, to mix up rhubarb leaves and think that they are some other kind of thing like Swiss chard. They look rather similar. Swiss chard is, a, is edible, the whole thing, and it's healthy, but rhubarbs can poison you. The other thing that you might want to invest in is asparagus and planting roots of asparagus. Now, I have to warn you, it can take up to five years to produce those wonderful spears, but it will continue to offer a bountiful harvest for 20 years or more. So you could experiment with like purple passion. Purple is the color of the year. And those are really sweet and tender and they have a very nice mild flavor. Pull weeds as soon as you see them sprout while the ground is still moist. Chop down any of your cover crops and hoe into the soil. As I said earlier, those cover crops could be mustard, vetch. It could be uh, beans that you planted. Whatever it is that you planted, you know, as a, um, as a nitrogen enhancer, this is the time to work it in. Now, lawns, if you have lawns, and I'm a huge fan of lawns, I also... I like to have a mixture of clover and pearls premium, but this is the time to give your lawns a boost of nitrogen because uh, that, that way you won't have to fertilize until the fall again. So fertilize your lawns now. You can also aerate your lawns right now. Make sure that, that the, all the fertilizer and the water is going down in the soil. And if you have thatch in your lawns, this is the time to dethatch. Pick established kale and other greens before they go to seed. My kale is now flowering, which means it's getting ready to go to seed. So it's good in one way because it'll reseed itself, but it will kill the, the mother plant. So I'm having to harvest the kale as fast as possible. Uh, pull the weeds as uh, soon as you see them, as I already said, because now the ground is moist and if there are weeds like dandelion. I've been pulling those, but I've been adding them to my salads and my satays. They're really, really healthy. I'm writing about them in my next gardening column that will be out next week. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of weeds that are edible. Add fresh compost to all of your garden beds. Compost will keep all your plants um, nutrient-rich for the next few months. You can also... Uh, Build raised beds for your vegetable and herbs. That'll, you know, that'll help your back. Raised beds are so much better if they're, you know, a couple feet off the ground. And you don't want them much further, much deeper than three feet because you want to be able to reach across and be able to walk all around them. This is also the time to, to seed or reseed lawns. It's only the second best time of the year. The best time of the year is in the fall, but this is a good time of year as well especially as many people want to have a nice lawn for summer barbecues and croquet and, you know, whatever the games you're going to play out on the lawn you know, touch football or whatever. Prune your privets into hedges and bushes unless you want tall trees. 
You can loosen your compacted soil by turning amendments into the soil with a garden fork, and those amendments can be the compost that I was talking about. Boxwoods need to be shaped and clipped right now. Beets are ready to be harvested. If you planted them in the fall, you're probably going to see beets in your garden right now, so go ahead and harvest those. And um, check the weather forecast to know when it is going to rain so that you can sprinkle those seeds or scatter those seeds that I was telling you about earlier. Support ecotherapy and take a walk in the woods. And if you live in a city or a town, you know, just take a walk in the park. That's great. It's called forest bathing. It's a Shinrin Yoku. It's been scientifically proven to improve your immune system. So it's a Japanese uh, cultural thing that has been researched and people have found that there are uh, elements in trees that just de-stress us. So you want to go someplace that is going to, you know, definitely de-stress you. And then finally, do buy a copy of my book for more landscaping tips, uh, Growing with the Goddess Gardener. It is available at CynthiaBryan.com forward slash online hyphen store. Well, just go to CynthiaBryan.com. You'll find it. It's great. So I wish you a happy gardening and happy growing. And we're going to take a short break, but we will find the smartest ways to use email at work and what research tells us about effectively taming your inbox. You know, how to use all caps, whether to use the, um, you know, the emojis or not, how quickly to respond to messages and much, much more. So stay with me. You're listening to Star Style. Be the star you are. I am Cynthia Bryan. We're coming to you live. This is the Voice America Network. You're listening to the Empowerment Channel, where we hope to inspire and motivate you. I'll be back in a bit, so don't go away. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Business Bites. Here's Cynthia Bryan. You might have heard of the laws of stratospheric success. Brian Tracy, who has been an influence in my own writings and philosophy, shares some great tips for making wealth happen. First is called the law of value. If you learn to give more in value than you initially get in price, you'll soon get more business and grow your profits exponentially as a result of people telling others that you give great value. The second is the law of compensation. Your income is determined by how many people you serve with excellence. The more you serve, the more walking, talking ambassadors you have in the marketplace to help you grow your business. Exceptional value plus exceptional service creates exceptional prosperity. The third is the law of influence. People do business with people they know and trust. The more you value and service you give, the more people know and trust you, the more they will do business with you, and they will encourage others to do business with you as well. The fourth is the law of authenticity. People respond to people who are true and not phony. So in business, the best person you can be is yourself. And I must say, the best person you can be at any time is yourself. Everybody else is taken. So give yourself and give value and excellence and you'll create a sphere where people are magnetized to want to be around you and to do more business with you. The fifth is the law of perceptivity. When you start giving, know that you will also start a flow of receiving. 
Be open to give, but also be open to the flow of receiving, coming to you in abundant ways. You know, it's sometimes easy to give, but it's really hard to receive. The sixth is be wise in business and in life. Who is wise? The person who learns from all the others. Be unstoppable. Believe so much that your goals and dreams that you will become unstoppable. And be persistent. If you fall down seven times, you got to get up eight times. So keep on going. You are the star of your own performance. Turn your passions into profits. I'm Cynthia Bryan with another business bite from Star Style. For information on booking a coaching or consultation, you can call 925-377-STAR. That's 925-377-7827. Or visit CynthiaBryan.com. The annual cost of illiteracy to American taxpayers is over $225 billion. Help increase literacy, reduce violence, and improve positive media messages by making a tax-deductible contribution to Be The Star You Are charity. A top-rated nonprofit, Be The Star You Are promotes positive role models, produces positive radio broadcasts, and donates positive books to empower women, families, and youth. Be a power partner and join our galaxy of stars. Visit our website at bethestarur.org to make a tax-deductible donation using PayPal or send checks to P.O. Box 376, 376, Moraga, California, 94556. Be the star you are. Org. Dare to care. You are the star. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. This business of show business is Well, we are back, and we're going to be talking about the smartest ways to use email at work. So this was an article that I read in the Wall Street Journal in their workplace technology, and I was really fascinated by it because email has become so ingrained in our workday life that we rarely give it a second thought, but maybe we should. So researchers have been putting a laser focus on how we can be smarter about using email at work, and they came up with some surprising insights from the very best way to tame an overflowing inbox to those unintended consequences of punctuation choices. So in some cases, these findings completely overturn what we think we know about how to write messages. For instance, responding to email right away might be a terrible idea. And using emojis can be a great one. See, now I would have thought just the opposite because I'm one of these people that I like to be really on top of things. And so uh, I'd like to respond as soon as possible. Sometimes I can't right away, but I'm thinking, well, gosh, maybe I have to rethink this. And I don't usually use emojis in email, but maybe I have to rethink that too. So here is a, uh, a, round, uh, you know, a, a rundown of what experts in the fields of psychology, management, linguistics, and other experts have discovered. 
The first one we're going to we're going to discuss is don't answer too quickly or after hours. So replying to email promptly is a good thing, right? Well, they say not always. In fact, in companies whose cultures emphasize speed of response, workers are more stressed, they're less productive, they're more reactive, and they're less likely to think strategically. Those are some of the conclusions that were reached by uh, lecturers and occupational psychologists at Kingston University in the UK. People think that if they respond quickly to their colleagues, that it's going to support a strong social relationship. But in terms of actual well-being and productivity, there was absolutely no evidence that that kind of culture is effective. So handling emails after hours can also be detrimental. And that's something, I mean, I feel like most of the time for me, I don't have hours because I will work, I work until I get my work done. So sometimes that's two in the morning. It's, that's just the way it is. Um, but handling hours, uh, handling your email after hours, they say that it could be detrimental because people receive an email during off hours may feel more pressured to respond. And those who do aren't more efficient. They simply generate a higher volume of mail without actually getting more work done. A company culture where employees are encouraged to answer emails quickly may be especially difficult for highly conscientious people. The research that they did on such workers showed that email notifications caused them higher stress than other people and made them unproductive in their other work, even though they often put off answering the notes. Now, on the other hand, we have to remember one size doesn't fit all. And the preliminary findings from a new study of extroverts suggested that when they are working on routine tasks, being interrupted by an email could be good for them because the social stimulation also helps the workers avoid boredom and completes their tasks more effectively. So I don't know from, you know, I, I don't know how to take that. I guess it's, you have to think about it individually and do what's best for you. Now, for most workers, a strategy of switching off mail alerts, but checking email about every 45 minutes or so and taking action on every message helped reduce the stress and allow people to feel more in control. They also recommended using the delay send feature when replying to emails off hours. I don't know what that is um, when they say a delay feature. I haven't, I don't think I have that on mine. Maybe I do, but I, I don't, I don't see it. Uh, because I feel like for me, I have to send it right away because I get so many emails. If I don't respond right away, it'll be get lost in my chain and it, I, then I may not get to it for a week or so. So what's more, they said that companies should remove policies that require or encourage certain response times and consider using shared email boxes for teams. So the load isn't shared, um, you know, so the load is shared among several individuals as opposed to just falling on the shoulders of one or two. And if fo- uh, if workers need to focus on a particular task, such as writing a report, for example, they could be encouraged to have their email automatically forwarded to a colleague to allow them to work uninterrupted. So what are the best times according to these studies to send an email? Now, how do you get people to pay attention to your emails? Because there's so many competing demands on our attention these days. 
Well, the project leader at the University of Southern California's Information and Science Institute has done extensive research on cognitive overload. That is how our brains respond when faced with too much information. And here was the key finding. When faced with a screen packed with information, people tend to focus on what's at the top. So what follows is that you want to time your email to correspond with when people are going to check. But when is that, right? Is there something, again, no size fits all? The last study in 2015 in a collaboration with Yahoo, they found they analyzed 16 billion I don't know how you could analyze that many emails. These were both personal and business, and they tried to look for patterns. And what they found is that people replied more quickly early in the week, and those replies were also longer. The same applied to the time of day. Between 8 a.m. and noon is the best time to send emails. And the, um, the head doctor on this is Dr. Lerman said that she uses these findings herself. If she wants to send an important email, she doesn't do it on a Friday. She'll wait until Monday, and it's much more likely to be at the top. So maybe that's something to think about. Uh, we're on a Wednesday right now, so maybe today's the last day to send important emails and then wait again till next week. In our acting business, we always said to do make your calls and you know be proactive Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays between the hours of like 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. And then after that, forget about it because Mondays and Fridays were bad as far as trying to reach casting directors or agents or any of that. So I imagine that probably is good advice for doing any kind of work, including emails. Now, what is the trick to negotiating by email? Email is what academics call a lean medium, and that's lean medium in quotation marks. Because in face-to-face communication, we use a huge range of nonverbal cues to help convey what we mean. But on the phone, we have tone of voice. Email, we don't have anything, right? So we could really get it all wrong. That should make email bad for complex tasks like negotiations. At least that's what we think. But what the experts are saying, not necessarily. So this is from the University of San Francisco School of Management. Their studies, they asked participants to engage in simulated business negotiations over email. The successful pairs of negotiators tended to take advantage of the strengths of email, such as the ability to rehearse what you're going to say and convey a lot of information in a very clear, specific, short form that people can refer back to later on. They were also better at dealing with the limitations, such as the potential for misunderstandings, missed emails, and time zone mix-ups. What research says is that email is missing all of the nonverbal richness that we have in conversations, right? So the research points to the fact that if you understand how to use email effectively, it could be helpful to your negotiations. Don't worry about some all caps and the sum is in all caps so we, it's one of the longest standing pieces of conventional wisdom about email dating back to the days of dial-up modems is don't exaggerate with all caps because all caps has always been called shouting but other kinds of loose spelling kind of just look goofy I mean some people I know 
right? They don't ever capitalize. Some people don't put periods. Some people put tons of exclamation uh, marks. I get some emails from people that have all question marks, which I never know if they're asking a question or if that's just their period. But new research suggests, you know, none of this is the right answer. So what they find is good leaders often use a wide array of techniques and strategies when writing to their teams. Now, this is Ashton University in the UK is um, is adding its voice to this. They're saying, when used judiciously, a word or two in capital letters can provide, that's C-A-N, can provide emphasis and it can co- communicate an urgency or something it injects, maybe sometimes it injects humor. So adding a capitalized and, A-N-D, or a but, B-U-T, can also act as a cue that the writer is going to add more. So although typing a whole email in capitals is a no-no, perhaps there's nothing wrong with using all caps in very small doses. Of course, context matters, and there are formal situations in which the te- uh, those kind of techniques could be inappropriate. But the broad lesson is that within teams, you can be a little bit playful, and you could probably be, you know, have some fluidity in your style as well. But the lesson goes beyond all caps. For example, um, in one recently analyzed conversation in which the, bo- the boss, excuse me, joked about her subordinate working late and wrote, go home, E.T., and home with like five O's in it. Uh, the elongation of the word home and the reference to the movie E.T., you know, extraterrestrial, made it clear that it was a joke to which the employee respond with an L.O.L., a more traditional sentence like just go home, on the other hand, could have seemed abrupt or could have even been interpreted as a command and may not have been funny. So when do you use these emojis and any kind of emotional uh, language? Another way to get across emotion is with those small pictures of faces, you know, the smiley faces that people put or their cousins, the emojis, which depict tiny objects. So this psychologist at, um, at Chatham University in Pittsburgh showed volunteers messages in plain text and others with emojis for objects such as flowers and keys. And she found that even though these emojis depicted emotion-free objects rather than faces, people reported that they made neutral messages more positive and shaved some of the negativity of downbeat ones. So in another study, looking at how the pictures helped comprehension, people reading the messages understood the meaning better with the emojis added. So I found that very, very interesting. For for instance, um, the researchers showed people a deliberately ambiguous message. So here was the message. Got a ticket. And that's it. Got a ticket, period which could refer to a movie ticket, a speeding ticket, or, you know, any kinds of other tickets, right? But adding a plain emoji helped the people understand the message better that they had bought a plane ticket. Now, a caveat, we have to understand this. There are other studies found that in business communication, these emoticons and emojis can be useful mostly for internal communication within teens, And when you're using them with strangers, on the other hand, 
they could have unintended consequences. So we have to be careful. Now, there was also a University of Haifa in Israel study that conducted experiments in which they showed the participants various business emails, some written in plain text, others with these emoticons, and they discovered that people viewed the writers who used smileys as less competent and were less likely to share information with them. So, wow, boy, we're getting a lot of information here, right? I mean, what are we supposed to do? We're not really sure, you know, kind of ever what we're supposed to do. So here are some unintentional little stuff that counts. It's not only all caps and emoticons that can be misinterpreted. People have found, or the researchers found, that people assign meaning to even small details. For example, in one email exchange, the writer accidentally included a double question mark at the end of a question. It conveyed an impression of rudeness or aggression, and the recipient was offended. Similarly, if you always sign your emails best, but suddenly switch to the more formal best regards, your colleagues might think you're trying to distance yourself from them. That's even if it wasn't your intent. So people even read significance into timestamps. Replying within seconds might make you seem efficient or too eager, or depending on the context, that it might be bad. In digital writing, you don't see the other person, so you can't gauge anything from their facial expressions or gestures or tone of voice because these things are so important. When we read an email, we instinctively assign meaning to anything that we can possibly assign meaning to. So even that humble period can be significant. The hunch is that it could be it could come across as being less sincere or it could be abrupt. But the hunch is that it's because we're really limited that we are sending uh, each other text messages. So we use what we do have available on the keyboard. Punctuation can be used grammatically, but also rhetorically. So it was interesting. While I knew I was going to do this, during the break, I uh, checked I checked my, um, uh, my uh, phone. And there was a text message from somebody, but I don't have time to text back. So I checked my emails and there was an email from the same person saying, I text you, but you haven't responded and you're not getting my emails. Uh, but you see, I'm on the radio. So I, I, can't, um, I can't text her back. So I found that very interesting that, you know, it's people are using text and email and like we're double communicating. But we don't realize sometimes that people are working or they're busy or they're in a meeting or they can't get back to you right away. So it's important to pay attention to the small things. Try removing components, rereading messages, seeing if the meeting changes. And always say our aim should be to become a better communicator. And we want to become a better analyst of our own things, right? If all that sounds like too much work to put into composing an email, consider a series of experiments that show that people are consistently overconfident in their ability to both understand emotion in email and text and to convey it. So the lesson from this research is that instead of skimming emails and firing off quick responses, take your time, view the exchange carefully, and then respond. They also added that good email communication is not about our intentions, but about the meaning that other people assign to what we write. So whatever our intentions are, it's going to be the way your email 
is red. That's interesting. So that gets back to good communication. And that's going to be a big challenge in itself. So we might be well-meaning, but is this what the other person is going to get? We don't know. We don't know. So uh, be careful with your, with your emails and with your texts. Think about it. Uh, and before you send something off, I always suggest rereading because if you're like me, you probably have an autocorrect. And I cannot tell you how many times I have fired things off that have told people I was going to design their horse instead of design their house. Well, thanks for being great listeners and allowing me into your life every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. Pacific. Please make sure to stay tuned to Star Style, Be the Star You Are, right here on the Empowerment Channel of Voice America as we come to you live every week. You can change your life. You can make your dreams come true. You can be the first person you were meant to be, born to be, we want you to be the star you are. Visit my website at be the star you are.org. Well, actually, that's the charity website. Visit the charity website because that's the most important. You can go to my website, CynthiaBryan.com. Make a donation to be the star you are at be the star you are.org. Keep us on the air. And remember that I am always attempting to encourage, inspire, and inform, amuse, and motivate you. I want you to read a book. I hope it'll be Growing with the Goddess Gardener or Be the Star You Are this week. Do remember that you are the greatest, the best, the most wonderful, the coolest. Just be you. Know that you can get everything you want out of life because love always wins, kindness always prevails, and smiles will keep us happy. I am Cynthia Bryan. This is Star Style. I do encourage you to be the star you are. Have a wonderful week. Dream, create, inspire, and make a difference. And we'll be together next week from 4 to 5 p.m. Happy Easter to all. Happy Passover. Celebrate. Enjoy family and friends. Thanks for joining me. Be the star you are. The star you are.